the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Instead of allowing the fear of man to keep us from witnessing, we should be in awe of our powerful God, so much so that we are moved and motivated to obey him by witnessing. Reverence for the Almighty One is one of the great motivations for believers to proclaim the gospel without being afraid of what puny man can do to him. That is the message of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Today's verse-by-verse radio Bible class is the conclusion of a three-part message on fearless proclamation of the gospel. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has been serving for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse-by-verse is an extension of his teaching ministry at Lakeside. We have learned two reasons so far that we need not fear people who oppose our witness. One is that when Christ returns, everyone will know you were right after all. So don't worry about your reputation. God is much more powerful than any earthly enemy, so he is the one to fear, not other people. And then there's the third reason we can be bold, and Pastor Steve will get to that in just a few minutes. Here he is now with today's lesson. Now, hell may not be a popular subject to speak about these days. It certainly isn't. But the Bible is most clear about the reality of hell. The specific word for hell that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 10 is the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna. It's a, it is a reference to the Hinnom Valley. Gehenna, Hinnom. Very similar. The Hinnom Valley, which is just outside the old city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem today is a modern city, but we're talking about the old city of Christ's day, the Valley of Hinnom. And during our Lord's day, that valley was used as a garbage dump. It's not used that way today, but back then it was used as a garbage dump where people used sulfur to burn their trash. That's how it was used. Gehenna then was a place where fires were always burning and worms and maggots just crawled around continuously. And Jesus said, that hell is similar to that. It's like a stinking, smoky, foul-smelling incinerator. That's why in Mark chapter 9, verse 44, he spoke of hell as a place of unquenchable fire where their worm, he said, does not die and the fire is not quenched. Just like the Hinnom Valley, but a lot worse. He also spoke of hell as a place of outer darkness where there will be only misery and despair. He called it gnashing of teeth. In Luke 16, Jesus revealed that hell is also a place where, where in its inhabitants are tormented because they have conscious memories. Remember Abraham talking to that man who died and went to, to hell? He, he said, son, remember. That's the torment. Without doubt, hell is the most horrific 
of all places. Here's how David Klotfelter in his excellent book, Sinners in the Hands of a Good God, described this place of eternal horrors. He wrote, hell then is a hopeless place, devoid of the light of love or joy. It does not seem possible that it is a place from which the light of truth has completely fled. At the least, the damned are forced to face the truth of their own sinfulness and God's anger toward them. But that may well be the only truth that they know and that their minds twist this way and that way in the effort not to know the things they do know. Now, something else we want to keep in mind. Whenever you're talking about hell, it seems, especially today, we need to emphasize that hell is forever and ever. The punishment is forever and ever. And the reason that I want to draw this to your attention is because there are some people who have looked and read Christ's words in Matthew 10, 28, and they have concluded that just because Jesus used the expression destroy both soul and body in hell, that he was teaching annihilation or just the ceasing of existence rather than everlasting punishment. And they say, see, he used that word destroy. But folks, that's not at all what Jesus was teaching. The Bible doesn't teach annihilation. The Bible teaches that those in hell receive eternal, which means everlasting forever and ever, punishment. Just as those in heaven experience blessings that are eternal. In fact, in Matthew 25, verse 46, there is a parallel and a comparison given between believers and their eternal destiny and unbelievers and their eternal punishment. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 46. You can write this down, look it up later. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, there the Lord compares the way of unbelievers and believers and how they'll be treated for eternity. Unbelievers, he said, will be eternally punished. And believers, on the other hand, will experience eternal life in God's presence. You can't have one without the other. You can't, you can't minimize one. You can't say, well, one isn't really true. It's not eternal, but the other is. You can't say, well, we're going to experience all of the blessings of heaven for eternity but I don't believe that those in hell will be there for eternity. That, that just defies the meaning of language. So the question is, why did Jesus then use the word destroy in Matthew 10? Well, understand that the Bible is not written in English. The original New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for destroy or destruction doesn't even contain the, the thought of extinction. It's the thought of loss, of ruin of something that you, that you don't have. It is the very same word that Paul used, note this, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 to speak of eternal destruction. Now, isn't that interesting? Think about that for a moment. Paul spoke of eternal destruction for those who will be in hell. That can possibly refer to annihilation because annihilation by its very definition is not eternal. If it's eternal, it can't be annihilation. Destruction there means that they are eternally ruined, eternally with loss of the blessings of God's presence. Now, folks, going back then to Matthew chapter 10, understand the point that Jesus is making in verse 28 is this. He's giving us a contrast between man's power and God's power. He's telling us that we should never fear man. Why? Because man's power is just very limited. All they can do is destroy these corrupt weak, decaying, temporary bodies. But they can touch our eternal souls. But God can, 
because God has the absolute unlimited power to cast us forever into hell. Therefore, he's the one that we ought to fear. Now watch this. You hear the word fear, and it's been used many times in this passage, and immediately we think, well, is he telling us to fear God like we fear people? No, he's not telling us that. When Jesus speaks about fearing God, he's not referring to the same kind of fear that we might have towards people. That fear that we have towards people is a paralyzing fear. It's a terrorizing fear. It's a frightened kind of terror. It's a stifling fear. Whenever the Bible speaks of fear, fearing God for a believer, it's talking about a fear of reverence. It's talking about a love, a wholesome fear of awe that motivates us to obey him. It's a, it's a fear that draws us close to him. It's, a, it's the same sense when you sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. That is a magnificent song, and there is just a sense of, of God's awesomeness and majesty, and there is a respect and a reverence that's reserved only for him. That's the kind of fear Jesus is talking about. And that's really, note this, that's, that's Christ's main message to us in this verse. Instead of allowing, if you get this, you're going to get what he's saying. Instead of allowing the fear of man to keep us from witnessing, we should be in awe of our powerful God, so much so that we are moved and motivated to obey him by witnessing. That's what he's saying. See, reverence for the Almighty One is one of the great motivations for believers to proclaim the gospel without being afraid of what puny man can do to him. And it is this healthy reverence and fear for God that has liberated many Christians from the fear of man to boldly proclaim Christ even in the face of man's threats. There is that famous story told about the English reformer Hugh Latimer who was preaching before King Henry VIII and he was fearful at first because the king was in his presence. He didn't want to offend the English monarch and so Latimer carried on this dialogue, he tells us, within his, his heart. He said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, the king is here, so be careful what you say. But, he reasoned, the king of kings is here too, so be careful what you don't say. You see, folks, this is how we gain boldness. This is how we gain boldness in speaking out for Christ. If you fear disobeying God more than you fear offending man, then you will proclaim Christ fearlessly. You and I are to fear God so much that we couldn't possibly think of being disloyal to him. And so we proclaim him. And in light of that, you really overcome the fear of man. At the funeral of the great Scottish reformer, John Knox, someone said these words about Knox. They said, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. Did you get that? Here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. Folks, that's really the essence of what Jesus is saying. Fear God so much that you won't fear witnessing because of man. So why don't we need to fear our persecutors? Because Jesus said the truth will eventually be known. So who cares what they say about you? Secondly, the power of our enemy is so limited. So who cares if they take your life? They can't touch your soul. But he also gives a third reason for fearlessly proclaiming him. It's because God sovereignly cares for us. Look at verse 29. What an amazing statement. In fact, the, the verses connected to this are just incredible. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, 
and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Jesus moves from the great truth that God is so powerful that we should be in awe of him. He now tells us this is, that this awesome God is also a caring, loving father who loves his children and is interested in every detail of their lives. And he illustrates God's concern for his children by telling us that God is actually concerned for one of the most insignificant of all creatures, and those are sparrows, little birds. Jesus spoke of the relative worthlessness of these little birds by saying that two sparrows, he said, could be purchased for a single cent. Now, you may wonder, why would anybody want to buy a sparrow? Well, I don't want to ruin your lunch, but they ate them. That's that's why. In Christ's day, roasted sparrows were sold in the marketplace because they were cheap food. They were eaten as, as really a type of appetizer. That's what he's talking about. In fact, they were so cheap, they were so inexpensive, that in Luke 12, 6, Jesus said that five sparrows were sold for two cents, which means that if two sparrows were sold for a cent, then when you purchase five of them, the dealer threw in one for free. That's what he's saying. I'm not even trying to be funny and you're laughing at that. When I am trying to be funny, you don't laugh. But that's, that's really, he's just saying they're so cheap, the dealer threw in one for free. But even though these birds were so cheap, and frankly, let's, let's face it, they were ranked pretty low on the scale of things. I mean, you may be a bird lover, but in the scheme of things, they're ranked pretty low. Jesus said that not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father meaning apart from, from God's knowledge, but, but not just that he knows about it, but that he cares and that their deaths are under his control. If he cares about these relatively worthless birds, then think about how much he cares about his children, those who believe in Christ. How much he must know and care about us. If he knows all the details of even little sparrows who fall and he cares about them, how much does he know about us? Well, Jesus tells us, He knows even the most minute details of us. Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God's knowledge about each of his children is so detailed that he knows how many hairs you have on your head. And I will refrain from from making any kind of a joke about men losing hair. But it might, however, interest you to know that modern scientists say that the average blonde person has 145,000 hairs. The average dark-haired person has about 120,000 hairs. And the average red-headed individual has about 90,000 hairs. And you know what? God knows them all. And notice this. He has them all numbered. That doesn't mean he just knows the final count. They're all numbered just like the stars are numbered. There's one of those hairs that has the number 99. One of those hairs has the number 1,000, all that. God knows all the hairs on your head. Now, the question that I pose to you is, why would Jesus even mention the number of hairs that we have on our head along with birds falling to the ground? Well, what is the relationship here? Well, let me try to put it together for you. Two times in the New Testament, we read about hair other than this time, and both in the context of death, both in the context of death. Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 18, yet not a hair of your head will perish. So he's using hair there to speak in, in that context of you won't, you won't uh, perish. Not a hair of your head and the implications of fall to the ground and, and perish. Paul said the same thing, essentially, in Acts 27, 34, as he, as he assured the men on that, that boat, that vessel, that they would all make it safely 
to land. He said, not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. So both Jesus and Paul seem to be speaking of the protecting of hair on one's head as just a way of expressing. It must have been just a, a, an expression in that day of the fact that God will preserve life. Not a hair on your head will perish. But what Jesus appears to be saying then in Matthew 10 is that God not only sees a sparrow who dies and falls to the ground, but he also sees when hairs fall from one of his children who dies due to physical persecution. I think he's talking about this in the sense of death. A bird falling to the ground and hair from our head falling to the ground in death. And more than simply know that this deathly persecution happened to us. It isn't that God is just aware of it. He's aware of everything. Jesus closed this section by giving us the assurance that God watches over us and has our death under his sovereign control. Notice verse 31. This is how he closed the section. So here's his conclusion. So do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Here Jesus spells out the third reason that we don't need to fear man because we are valuable to God. And the we there is speaking of believers, the children of God, those who have trusted Christ. This great God who has the power to cast us into hell for eternity now tells us that he loves his children so much so and sovereignly watches over us that he knows all about it when they fall in battle. Doesn't take him by surprise. See, the point that Christ is making is not that we'll never die due to persecution because, folks, Believers do die, and they will continue to die. He cares about us. That caring doesn't mean that he's always going to protect us in the sense that we'll not die. Little sparrows die, and he cares about them too. They fall to the ground. They die. Rather, Christ's point is this. You don't have to fear being killed for your faith because you can't die a moment before God sovereignly controls and permits anyone to kill you. That's what he's saying. He's not saying he just knows about it. And oh, isn't that too bad? It's not saying that he's just offering us pity that comes from knowledge. You see, the time and circumstance surrounding your death is not left up to chance. It has nothing to do with good or bad medical treatment you got. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It has everything to do with the loving Heavenly Father who sovereignly dictates when each of his children will live and when they'll die. David said in the Old Testament, my times are in his hands. Job acknowledged that, that he couldn't die a moment before God had ordained it. And Jesus himself said in John, or rather in Matthew six twenty seven, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? You can worry all you want. You can get sick from that, but you won't expand your life one moment longer because of your worries. And no amount of fearing man will Add a moment to your lifespan either. That's what he's saying in Matthew 10. So just be bold and fearlessly proclaim Christ because God won't let you die a second before the time he has chosen for you to die. So don't think it's left up to you. Don't think it's left up to your situation. Your life, your death is all in the hands of a sovereign God who loves you and has everything planned out for you. Let's bow for prayer. Once again, I ask, as we're still before the Lord, will you take these truths to heart? Will you become fearless like Peter, like Stephen, like Paul, like all those other Christians who are bold? You'll do that 
if you'll let these truths transform your thinking. Will you be fearless in proclaiming Christ? Because number one, you know that the truth will eventually be revealed. So you've decided not to hold back anything in witnessing out of fear of what others may think or say about you because you know someday they'll know the truth. Just a matter of time. And since you know that the power of the enemy is limited, will you now be unafraid of what people can do to you? Instead, you'll concentrate more on obeying God out of reverence. You'll fear God so much that you don't fear man. And because you know that God is a loving father who sovereignly cares for you and won't let you die a moment before his will dictates when you die. Will you make sure that you hold back nothing out of fear for preserving your life? These are the issues you have to come to grips with. So I once again assign you the task of meditating on these things, absorb them, digest them so that they'll be part of your life. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, that we should spend so much time in the word and the word should be in us so much that our blood should be bibbling. You understand that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it impact your life. God does care about you and God has a special, though he loves all, he has a special love and a special concern for his children. Question is, are you one of his children? You're, You're not one of his children unless you have personally accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're still trusting, being a good person, trying to do the best you can, then you are not a child of God's. But you can become one by turning from that very attitude of self-righteousness and turning from all sin that you're aware of and turning to the Savior and trusting that his death was sufficient for your salvation. In fact, it is the only thing That is sufficient for salvation. The only way we can go to heaven is when we bank our eternal destinies on Christ's death on the cross and nothing else. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. I urge you to call upon the Lord and the Bible says he will forgive your sins. He will make you his child. He will be your father. And when you die, he will take you to heaven. You have his word for it. If I can be of any help or any of our staff in explaining the way to you, the way of salvation more clearly, please let us know. Father, we thank you for these truths, Lord, given to us to motivate us, to embolden us, to strengthen us. Lord, many of us are ensnared and enslaved and entrapped by the fear of man. We care too much about what people think about us. We care too much about what they might say about us. We care too much about what they may do to us. I pray that that these truths will liberate us, liberate us from that fear. And Lord, help us to have a balance. We, We are not to be brazen. We are not to be obnoxious in our witnessing. We are still to be gentle. We are still to be sensitive. We are still to be thoughtful, but we are to be bold. I pray that the boldness that was demonstrated in Peter and and Stephen and Paul will be in in our lives as well in a gracious, Christ-like manner. I pray also that you'll draw to yourself those who don't know you, that you'll open their hearts, that you'll take the blindness away, that they will see their sin, see the reality of hell, understand the cross and the death of Christ so that sinners like us don't need to go to hell. And I pray that you will 
impress upon them the magnificent, mighty truths of your grace. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are glad that you could join us today for Verse by Verse. It's a daily Bible class taught by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His 26 years of teaching at Lakeside have led to the birth of Verse by Verse Ministries and this program. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of those who we hope are first supporters of their own churches. If you would like to hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Spend some time there if you can and explore. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Today's lesson was the conclusion of a three-part message. To hear the entire message at once, you can order a CD or cassette. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 could be considered to be the theme of the Reformation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But what about the next verse? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.